Okay. Dismiss the kids. They turned you off. Yeah. Oh, how could they do that, Catherine? I'm Carl Hamilton. I'm one of the associate pastors at Westminster. And it's a real, real privilege to be here. We want to dismiss the children. I think uh, there's some folks in the back that are standing. Barbara's back there standing, waiting for the kids. So please uh, take your kids. Let them be in good, safe hands. And I'm going to steal Don's thing here. This morning, uh, my spiritual gift is the gift of teaching. So what I want to do this morning is to be really practical with you. I'm going to talk about an issue that is personal, that is practical, and I think is life-changing. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't already done so, get one of the sermon notes pages that was handed out, turn it over, follow along with me as I go through my message this morning, take it home, put it on your refrigerator, reflect upon it, pray about it, because I believe that what I'm going to talk about this morning will really change your life. I'm going to talk about financial stewardship. How you use your money. And I want to tell you this from right off. This is a spiritual issue. And it's not only an issue about how you use your money in a secular way, but it's how that you use your money affects you and your relationship with Jesus Christ. I believe with all my heart that how we use our money may be one of the most significant issues in our life. It's been said that Jesus in all of his parables and all the things that he talked about, the thing he talked about more than anything else other than the kingdom of God is how we use our money. The critical question is this, do we control our money or does our money control us? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I do ask that as we spend this time together, that you will teach us an understanding of money, how it can be used for good and how it can dominate and control us. So I pray now for the gift of the Holy Spirit to be among us, to be our teacher. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What I want to do this morning is share some thoughts with you from a book by Bill Hybels called Honest to God, Becoming an Authentic Christian. In his chapter on seduction of money, he introduces a very interesting character. He introduces the money monster. Now, if any of you, and I hope many of you are familiar with Sesame Street, right? Did you grow up watching Sesame Street? And there was a favorite character there, the cookie monster. Now, what was it the cookie monster was always doing? Eating cookies. He would devour any cookie that he could find anywhere. No cookie was safe within his reach. Well, in the same way, Heibel says, the money monster wants to devour us and control our lives. And I want to just read the introduction to that chapter. He says, it beckons and woos us. It tantalizes and seduces us. It sucks us into its grasp and wrecks havoc in our lives. And still, we deny its sinister power. A money monster. Ha! There's no such thing. Like children proud to have outgrown their belief in nocturnal bedroom threats, we laugh off the notion of a money monster. A sinister power. A tyrannizing force. You've got to be kidding. Money is simply a means of exchange. Meanwhile, we devote our lives to earning it. We glory in spending it. 
we lie awake nights figuring how to stockpile more of it. We pursue inauthentic jobs because of it. We bow at its feet and salute its command. Oh, there's a money monster, all right, sly and artful. He's been around for centuries, but during the last 20 years or so, he's moved from the shadows into the mainstream of American life. Hybels goes on and tells of a survey that was taken among college freshmen back in 1967, the year that Sarah and I got married. And they were asked whether it was more important to them to be well-off financially or to discover a meaningful philosophy of life. Well, back in 1967, the vast majority said it was more important to have a meaningful philosophy of life. But many years later, they took the same survey, and 80% responded that it was more important to be well-off financially. You see, the money monster has been busy over these last 40 years trying to convince us that money is the most important thing in life. And the ultimate goal of the money monster is very simple. He wants to totally dominate, dominate our value system so that each major life decision is made upon the basis of money. The money monster wants us to decide which jobs we will accept Not on the basis of will it be meaningful and fulfilling, will it use my gifts and abilities, or what will it contribute to society, but simply on the basis of how much it will pay. He wants us to decide where we live, how many children we have, who are our friends, all based on the bottom line, so that our self-worth becomes equal to our net worth. You remember the story of Jesus and the rich young ruler? The rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And when Jesus told him he had to make a choice between following Jesus and following his wealth, the man made his decision how? Based on his loyalty to the money monster. And he walked away from eternal life. Now, the money monster uses three predominant tactics to get us under his control. I want to look at those with you. The first one is a philosophy that's been around for a while. It's buy now and pay later. All you've got to do is just listen or watch the commercials, and you will see very quickly. You can have a whole household full of furniture. You need a new dining room set? You need new furniture? Well, come in and we'll give it to you. No payment down. You don't have to have any money now. Oh, three months, six months, you can start making little payments down the road. They want you to believe it won't cost you anything. I can remember when I used to have to apply and work hard to get a credit card. Most of you cannot remember those days. Today, I get at least one pre-approved credit card in the mail every week. There's a tremendous lure out there to get you to spend more than you earn. But remember what Proverbs 22, 7 says. It says, the one who borrows is servant or is a slave to the lender. Whenever we're in debt, the one that we owe money to is always in control. It's not just easy credit, but we're also influenced by peer pressure. That old phrase of keeping up with the Joneses. 
I'll never forget when Sarah and I started in the ministry some 40 years ago. It was really difficult. We were in our first church in Southern California. Sarah and I are both from very small towns in Mississippi. And most of the people we grew up with lived very simple lives. They had very little, they had very few extras in their life. And those first few years in Southern California were really hard. I discovered that my life was filled with envy. Every time I walked into someone's home, I looked around and, and saw all the wonderful things they had. I wanted those things. I noticed that everybody was dressed better than I was. And it, it just went on and on and on. We thought we needed everything they had. They were tough years. Now the irony is that in time, I think Sarah and I have acquired many of those things that we wanted back then. But you see, the money monster is still at work. Because he has this way about him of making sure that looking at our friends and what they have is always a relative issue. You and I will always choose to look at those who have more than to look at those who have less. So you see, the peer pressure is always there. If easy credit and peer pressure wasn't enough, we are being bombarded continually by the media. Some of the very best minds in our country go into advertising. They are used on television. They are used in the advertising industry. And their sole purpose is what? To get you to part with some of that dear money that you have. And they are good. They are real good. Our economy is consumer-oriented. It's driven by wants, not needs. The media is there to get us buy things that we don't need to create a desire for newer and fancier cars, for designer clothes. <laughs> I was surprised a while back to look that they were advertising a Martha Stewart home. Just what I need. The money monster, constantly tempting us to live beyond our means. This isn't what God wants. God wants us to control our money rather than to let our money control us. He wants us to live within our means so that we're not overwhelmed with financial pressures. God wants us to be able to care for our family and to have funds left over to share with others in need. God wants you and I to master the money monster rather than having that money monster dominate us. Now, how do we overcome the money monster? Well, first of all, we need to remember that the conflict with the money monster is really a spiritual issue. The ultimate question is this. Who is my God? Is my God my heavenly Father or is it money? Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus is hitting it right where it is. He's saying that we cannot have two core values in our life. Either our relationship with Jesus Christ is our central value, or money and material gain is. Both cannot control our lives at the same time. And if we want to defeat the money monster, then we start. We start by pursuing a more personal relationship with Jesus Christ. As we seek to deepen our relationship with Jesus, He will satisfy our deepest needs. The need for love, for peace, for security, for meaning, for purpose in life, 
And money can never, ever meet any of those needs. When we look to money for peace or security, what do we find? We find fear. And we find anxiety. And we wonder, will there be enough? Will something happen to what I have? Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these other things will be yours as well. Jesus is telling us that if we put God first, then all these other things that we think are so, so important will fall into place. Now, Hybels has a strategy to master the money monster. It's a simple three-step strategy. And if any of you have ever taken or listened to any of the Dave Ramsey stuff, it's very similar to what Hybel says. He says, first, pay God. Second, pay yourself. And then thirdly, pay your bills. Now let's look at these. Pay God first. This is where we must begin. Exodus 23 says, The first of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. Tim, the first of those vegetables that you got this morning belong to God. The very first ones. God says, honor the Lord with your substance and with the first fruits of all your produce. I can go on. There are many other passages that say, pay God first. Why? When I give God the first part of my income, I'm honoring Him. I'm saying, God, you're first in my life. You are the most important thing. You're more important than money or what it can bring me. You're more important than anyone or anything else. And this is the kicker. And I trust you to provide for me. When God says, bring the first fruits of all your produce to Him... He was talking to a farmer. He was talking to an agrarian society. And he's saying, don't wait until the entire crop is harvested and all the bills have been paid and then give me what's left over. No, give me the first fruits and then trust me for the rest. I grew up in the Mississippi Delta when cotton was king and it was the money crop. And every year you would plant cotton. And in August, you could have two bales to an acre. This could be a bumper crop, and you're going to be filthy rich. And yet, before the crop was brought in, a hurricane could come through. The rainy season could come early. You couldn't get into the fields to pick your cotton. Or if you did, it was ruined because of all the rain. And you would lose your whole crop. God says, give me the first part. Trust me for the rest before you've gathered it all into the storehouse. Now, by giving God the first portion, it's a statement that God is actually the owner of all that I have. The first 10% as well as the last 90%. It's all His. And that brings us to the question, well, how much do we give back to God? Well, I want to suggest that the Bible says over and over again that the place to begin is with 10%. 10% of your income. This is commonly referred to as the tithe. And it means giving to God the first 10% of all your income. Over the years, the tithe has become a symbol to me, almost like a sacrament. And it reminds me that all that I have is God's. When I write that first check each month, 
It reminds me that I'm responsible to God for every check that I write. Am I using all of his money as a good steward for him? Now this is what I really want to focus on this morning. I believe that God directs us to tithe because you and I need to tithe. God does not need our money. We need to tithe because what it does for us. Tithing is a spiritual discipline that helps us to grow into the person that Christ wants us to be. It helps us to grow into Christ's likeness. And I want to suggest three specific ways that tithing can help you and I to grow into Christ's likeness. First of all, it helps us to grow in love. What is the essence of love? Isn't it giving of oneself to someone else? Can you and I love without giving our time, our energy, our life to another person? John tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God demonstrated his love by giving himself for us. You and I cannot love without giving time, money, and self to another person. But you know, there's a problem. We have a sinful nature. And at the very essence of our sinful nature nature is that we're selfish. We want to keep money. We want to keep our time. We want to use it all to meet our own needs and our own wants. We don't want to give it away. See, selfishness is the opposite of love. But God, who has lavishly, generously given so much to us, He wants you and I to learn to be generous. Generous givers and tithing helps us to grow in love, to grow in generosity. Secondly, tithing helps us to learn to trust God to provide for us. Our natural tendency is to trust in ourselves, in our money, our jobs to provide us the security we want. But God wants us to trust Him. Now, we are comfortable and we're familiar that Christianity is based upon our faith and trust in Jesus Christ to give us eternal life. But Jesus would say to us, it's also about trusting Him to provide for our daily life. Over and over in the Bible, we're told to trust God for our every need. God wants to use the tithe as a way to prove to us, to demonstrate to us, that He is faithful and will provide for us. Look what God says in Malachi. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there will be food enough in my temple. If you do, I will open up the windows of heaven for you and pour out a blessing so great that you won't have room enough to take it in. Try it. Let me prove it to you. By tithing, we begin to experience God's faithfulness in providing for us. And then lastly, tithing will help us keep God first in our lives. It seems to me there's always a tension in our life between loyalty to God and to loyalty to the things of this world. The Apostle John says in a very clear verse, Do not love the world or things in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. 
In other words, these things in the world, materialism, pride, power, success, position, all of these things compete for our love for God. What is more important in my life? That's the question. Is God and His kingdom most important? Or I'm really more interested in the things of this world. And if you want to answer that for yourself, I would suggest there's a very practical place to go. And that is to go two places. Go to your schedule. Where are you spending your time? And go to your checkbook. Where are you spending your money? Probably more than anything else, they will show you if God is really first in your life. When Moses is giving the instruction about the tithe in the book of Deuteronomy, early on, he says this, The purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. Let me repeat that. The purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your lives. You see, tithing is intended to be a blessing in our lives, to be a discipline, to help us to grow in love, to grow in learning to trust God and to grow to put God first in our life at all times. Now, the next part of Heibel's financial plan is to pay yourself. And I doubt that there are many in here that have ever remembered Ben Franklin. And Ben Franklin used to say what? A penny saved is a penny earned. You've never heard it. That is so out of vogue today. Nobody even thinks about saving anymore. It's out of style. Heibel says, and and I don't know this to be true, but it's an impressing fact if it is. Heibel says 85 out of 100 Americans end up with less than $250 in cash savings when they reach the age of 65. That as the American consumer, we earned hundreds of thousands of dollars over our lifetime But at retirement, we have very little to show for it. Why? Because all these years, we paid everybody else but ourselves. Hybels in his strategy suggests that we save 10% of our income. We save it for emergencies like illness or unexpected times of unemployment, for education and for retirement. That we save, that we build up a reserve See, many of us today spend everything that we make. So when unexpected expenses come along, we don't have a reserve fund. And what happens? We have to go into debt. And that often begins a downward spiral into long-term indebtedness. And it's when we go into debt that we really lose control of our finances. And the money monster has us in his grip. Proverbs 6 says this. Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy fellow. Learn from their ways. Be wise. For though they have no king to make them work, yet they labor hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. In other words, learn from the ant who sets aside food when it's available to help out in lean times. The wise person saves. The foolish person spends everything that he or she has. We must learn to say no to that instant gratification, that desire that we have to have everything that we see, and we need to learn to put something away for a rainy day. Or sooner or later, you and I will end up in the grip of the money monster. 
Now, giving God 10%, saving 10% leaves what? 80% to pay our bills. And this is really where the real problem comes. You see, learning to live on what we have. Because what's really important is not whether you live on 80% or 90% or 100% of your income. The real issue is whether or not we are willing to limit our living expenses to what we've earned. Dave Ramsey has a quote. It's on the billboard on Broadway Extension. Act your, not your age, act your wage. Act your wage. See, will we allow easy credit, peer pressure in the media to push us into a standard of living that ends up eating all of our money and goes beyond? Instead of altering our lifestyle, learning to live in a smaller place, driving an older or less expensive automobile, having fewer clothes, enjoying less expensive vacations. We eliminate tithing and savings and we spend every penny that we have right now. In doing this, we set aside the strategy that would give us control over our money. And instead, whenever we lose our job or a medical emergency occurs, or unexpected expenses occur, we are pushed over the edge into debt. And once we find that state of debtedness, the stress just continues to amount and amount, build and build, and the money monster increasingly takes control of our lives. Now, what I've suggested here this morning is a simple plan. Not easy, but it's simple. Pay God the first 10%, save 10%, and learn to live and pay your bills with the remaining 80%. Now, will that work? Yes, it will. And I doubt that there are few of you that would disagree with the strategy. But the question is, how do I put this into practice? I had someone, when I was leading a singles group many years ago, say, Carl, I, I believe everything that you're saying. I, I, I want to do this, but I've got two kids. I'm a single mom. I've got two kids in high school, and I need to put a new roof onto my house. Where do I start? Well, there's no one answer. But let me give you a couple of thoughts. We're at many different places. Many of you are younger. You're just starting out in life right now. And I would say this to you. If, if you would begin your life with this strategy... It will make all the difference in the world for the rest of your life. It will transform your life. The further along that you are in life, the more debt that you have, the more obligations you have, the harder it is to begin to put this strategy into operation. So if you're younger, start now. Start saving now. Don't say, well, I'll start saving later. No, start saving now. Every one of us can choose to make a change, whatever our situation. It's not going to happen overnight, but in time, you and I can make significant changes if we start from where we are. And here are three suggestions. My first suggestion is that you begin by drawing nearer to God. As you seek to develop your relationship with Jesus... He will begin to change your values, your priorities, and what fulfills you. And you know what you will find? 
you will begin to find that you are living better for less. And then secondly, examine what you're currently giving to God financially. Maybe for you the tithe, 10%, seems completely out of the question. And you simply need some time to make some changes in your financial commitments. So what can you do today? What can you give to God? 2%? 3%? And then can you begin to increase that 2% a year? You know, if you were to do that within four years, you would be at or above the tithe. Or maybe what you can do is you can start experimenting on a monthly basis and begin to calculate what your income is on a monthly basis and begin to tithe. As God says, trust me, prove it to me. If you're in debt, take the Dave Ramsey course. If you're in debt, develop a plan to get out of debt. I don't care, two years, three years, five years. You might really have to tighten your belt for a number of years, but I promise you the freedom that it will bring will be worth it. And then you can begin to get your life in control, under control, and you can begin to save. And if you do this in the next three to five years, you'll find yourself free of the money monster and that you are in just a totally new person. I cannot see how you could ever regret putting this strategy to work in your life. I promise you it will change your life. But better than that, God guarantees it. He says, bring your whole tithe to my storehouse. Test me in this, says the Lord. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you won't have room enough for it all. Now, I'm not preaching prosperity gospel. I'm not saying that God's going to make you wealthy materially. But God will bless you in so many ways that you won't be able to appreciate all of his blessings if we begin to tithe or even make the commitment to move towards the tithe what are we doing we're placing our trust in God and he then promises to get involved in the finances of our lives part of what happens is that in deciding to tithe we're forced to make hard choices about how we're going to spend our money and those choices make it easier to save and they make it easier to live within your means. You see, tithing is much more than just about the question of how much we give to the church. Tithing is ultimately about your relationship with God. How are you doing with loving God? How are you doing with putting God first and trusting Him? Are you defeating the money monster? Or is the money monster in control of you? That's the question I want you to go home and ask yourself this week. Are you in control or is money in control of your life? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I do ask that as we take time over this coming week to think back to the financial decisions that we make, may we look at them from a spiritual perspective. May we realize that every bit of money that we have, every bit of money that we spend, is yours. You've entrusted it to us. You call us to be good stewards. And may how we spend our money transform us into the likeness of Jesus and help us to become more loving, more trusting, and to keep God first. Amen.